Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes, it's a new episode of the Football Ramble. Ah, Fulham, we've missed you. It's Wednesday the 5th of August. I'm Kate Mason. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Venetian Hunter-Raja. Plenty of time. Plenty of time, Vish. And plenty of wholesomeness from Scott Parker. Mm. Can you tell me, he is the most wholesome man in football, isn't he? Please don't tell me he's not. No, he's very wholesome. I mean, I know obviously you grew up without a TV because all you did was like practice violin and somehow watch Spurs in some horrific like child, like called it style, um, (laughs) like tragic backstory but you, you, you probably won't remember this but Scott Parker was um, he was in a McDonald's advert wasn't he when he was yes, a kid he was, yeah. and he was sort yeah. of tipped to go on and be a pro uh, and he was just doing kick ups in his garden yes. and someone went I have seen this. yeah right okay cool latterly Good, yeah obviously now I have access um, to the internet yeah um, they, they recorded two versions of that advert as well there's one where he gets a Big Mac and one where he gets a superior fillet of fish <laughs> but the world wasn't ready for that that's what I'm saying maybe we'll see that soon shamefully be... I always thought it was the fillet of fish yeah I did too yeah, but you were a good you enunciate, don't you? I know, but it's not, is it? It's a filet. It must be. Mm. filet o fish as well. It's actually quite a complicated fillet thing fish. to say. Yeah, people think it's Irish, but it's not. It's actually the surprise. Like, oh, it's actually fish when, when it isn't, obviously. But um, yeah, so that's that's how that's how the name came about. Yeah. Your name? Filet of fish. Yeah, my dad got drunk on filet of fishes and just chuck all the A's in it. The rest is history. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think he is, uh, I think to answer the original question, I think he is actually quite a wholesome man. I don't think he expected to be in this situation either, did he, Scott Parker? He sort of of stepped in as a favour. It's kind of gone really well. Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly it because I I think what he... What he was speaking about yesterday are sort of the unspoken things of management. Not just, I mean, you know, we obviously know that you win one game and then, then you know, that buys you what a day before you're thinking about the next game and then defeat, you're suddenly a fraud out of nowhere, which is what he said as well. But the fact that he was like, now I can go be like, I've got a bit of time to be a dad and a husband. Aww. But, but it, you know, those, those are the quandaries of, of management, really, aren't they? You get very little time off. And I, I, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen managers be a bit more open about the, their personal side of things. For example, Steve Bruce, when he was given that job at Sheffield Wednesday and then went to watch England play cricket in the Caribbean because he said he was always going to do that with his dad. Mm. Yeah. And his dad passed away, so he wanted to do that in honour of him. And, and, you know, there are a few people who were like, oh, you know, you take, take a job, Sheffield Wednesday, need you now. But I, I think as football, generally, we're a bit more attuned to that kind of emotional side of it. Mm. And even, you know, Amy Martinez on the weekend talking about wanting to do right by his parents and winning yeah. a medal. And so, like, that's the kind of wholesomeness we need now more so than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so, endearing. To see. so endearing. And of course, what we are talking about is Fulham being promoted to the Premier League after their 2-1 win. 2-1 it was in the end. I'm not sure if yeah. that slipped by you. Um, but anyway, of Brentford, who were, let's not forget, the favourites and had beaten them on aggregate, if you like, 3-0 in the regular season. So yeah. congratulations, Fulham. Congratulations, Marcus. You did your bit. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, good to see them back in the Premier League. Yeah, always nice to have a Marcus up there in the Premier League. Um, there are some already. Was, though, yeah, but there's another one now, isn't there, uh, with his support. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a brilliant advert for what we can expect, was it? It was a surprisingly sort of damp affair for the playoff final because finals are often cagey but the playoff final tends to be pretty good maybe it's maybe it really lacked the fans there because the tension is so so high in that game um but yeah it was um it wasn't great I thought Fulham were quite clever in how they sort of contained Brentford for most of it they 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 sort of it felt like in the first half they certainly penned them in a little bit and then the second half, they held them off. It always felt like they were sort of dictating what was going on in the game, even if it wasn't that high on quality. 
You can't tell, can you, when you're watching a game of football sometimes, if your projection of what is happening is is what you're seeing. As in, to me, it looked as though they were both just wetting themselves in the first half, yeah. half, yeah. And half, first half or so. But perhaps that was just because you know what's riding on it. It's the old, like, most expensive game in football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The nerves, <laughs> the nerves did seem really pronounced. And I, I, I've grown up in um, in Ealing, so I've got quite a few mates who are Brentford fans. I've watched them a few times when I was growing up, and even with my kind of, you know, mild supporting of them last night, I could only think that. I would hate to properly support a team in that kind of game. And I know it's a privilege saying that as a Manchester United fan, obviously. Mm. But they, boo, with, boo. But, but with, with so much riding on it and with it so reflective in the players as well, it was really stark. And, I, you know, obviously we've had enough, well, we've, we've had a few finals without fans. And so, as you said, we, we project what we want onto the game. But yeah, it really did seem like Brentford in particular, who'd been playing really slick football, as, as just as in the way the regular season ended, as soon as it became real, as soon as the prospect of going to the Premier League was so real, they, I don't want to say bottled it, but I, you know they they came unstuck from the nerves, and and yesterday was a was another great example of that. Sadly, for mm. me, it was the most bizarre game without the fans I thought of all the ones that I've seen because the championship playoff final is such a carnival affair normally yeah. at Wembley I've been to a few of them and it's always just so feels so mad and wild mm. and unhinged and. Silence. Especially in a derby as well. It's annoying. We'll never we'll never get that experience back, even as neutrals. Like it's generally great as a neutral, but a derby as a neutral, like watching the playoff final would have been brilliant as well. I've got to say, I think the real winners, apart from Fulham, um, are Deloitte. Um, because their marketing department saved them a fortune in sponsoring the championship every single year by just putting out a little little calculation of what that game's going to be worth. And then in the build-up, <laughs> the whole narrative is, you, did you see what Deloitte said? It's like, yeah, they say it every year. <laughs> Stop it. Stop this. <laughs> Speaking of which, they um, on Sky they were saying that the cost of the starting 11 of Brentford was £30 million, which is about, or less than a tenth of, for example, Liverpool's... Which is, a, which is a flat in Fulham, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great point. I wonder yeah. if that's how it's worked out. Um, their ninth playoff campaign, of course, Brentford, all these friends of yours. And generally, I think, you know, Brentford were the neutral's choice, weren't they? Because yeah. the story's it's nice great. to see someone who's not been in the Premier League up there and that that exciting football that they've been playing, yeah. although not in evidence last I, night. Actually, you know what? I think that might be... That might be what the new the neutral Premier League fan wanted, but I know that from within the Championship, there's a lot of frustration that you know that this plucky little Brentford story has come along, and actually, you know, they're about to move into a new stadium, and they have spent money and stuff. But all the all the same, you know, that's that's an option for all clubs. So I, personally, I would have loved to see them get up. Um, but I just I feel like Fulham's experience showed on the day, which was unusual because that's not what people were expecting from when the two clubs had met earlier in the season. Um, but it feels like you know Scott Parker just got them got them where they needed to be in time. And you know, the, the psychological damage of a relegation, especially in the manner that Fulham were relegated last season, because they were just the whipping boys, um, it, it's got to be a very, very difficult thing to get over. And for them to get up to get up for that and get back up in the same season, I don't think anybody was, even when the playoffs were, you know, the lineups were announced, like anyone was expecting Fulham to be the team that came through it. So it's impressive. And you would hope that suffering a relegation so recently they'd be better prepared this time probably I doubt they'll buy an entire new team this time like they did last time uh, they've got to take a different uh, different approach you would think yeah they they have quite a few loan signings that they'll need to either make permanent or, or replace so mm. they, they will have to spend some money and um, Parker's an interesting one obviously because his, his chat yesterday was really good and he set up Fulham really well yesterday um, and obviously had a hand in the Joe Bryan goal certainly in the planning of it um, it, he hasn't had the best of seasons. I've watched Fulham a few times for work and I haven't particularly been impressed by them because they just... The games I've seen, and it's a very, very small sample size, they've just won by having better players mm. yeah. rather than having a better system or doing things a different mm. way. So they're kind of the antithesis of uh, what Brentford have become, really. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be a real, obviously be in the Premier League full-time, you know, certainly from pre-season into this next season for the first time in his career. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches that and 
how he changes the way they play because they can't, they can't just simply get by by having someone like Tom Kearney or being able to call on Mitrovic yeah. as they did for a few minutes yesterday. Knockout oh, knock as well. Yeah, like, knock what up, what yeah. happens there? This, he is one of the, like people say that the Huckabee zone should be renamed the, the knockout zone. They're sort of too good for the championship, although I don't know if that's true anymore. Not quite good enough uh, for the Premier League thing. Like, I mean, what do Fulham, this shows my sort of um, very unscientific approach to management, which is why I'm not a football manager by any stretch. Like, what do you, does it curse you to have him? Like, do you do you, do you get rid of him? Do you, do you stick with him and think actually now maybe for the f- you know ninth or tenth time maybe you are ready to make the step up to the Premier League? It's an interesting way to look at building your squad, isn't it? it, it in the situation they're in, where they've come down, come back up again through the playoffs, and they know exactly how hard it is. Yeah, and then they've got a lot of the same players, and there's no reason yeah. why actually th- that it couldn't happen to them again. I think, you know, we looked to... To go down again, you mean? Yeah, to yeah. Go, go down straight again. Because if you look at the teams that are that came up the previous season, uh, Norwich City and Aston Villa, well, obviously Norwich City got relegated, Aston Villa cut it very fine, and they both played exactly the same way they did in the Championship. Mm. And while it was entertaining to a point, I think there was, you know, the, the flaws are clear them to see and I I think Fulham will have exactly the same problem the only thing you know after what I just said about how it didn't seem like they had a particularly coherent plan all the way through the season the only thing that might work in their favour is the fact that because of that they might just have to start from scratch because they can't Mm. play how they did in the championship because there was no real rhyme or rhythm to it so yeah maybe maybe that'd be of a benefit to them Um, uh, you know someone like Tom Kearney I think could it's probably just above the Huckabee knockout zone mm. in terms of someone who's, who's clearly an exceptional midfielder who can play as a number 10 or play in a deep lying role as he has for most of the season for Fulham. He might be someone who could really come into his own and actually grow into the Premier League a bit more than he has. Mm. And of course they have in their left back, Joe Bryan, they also have a striker. Yeah. So, you know, pretty useful. I'd Goal say. machine. Yeah. He was really funny in the post-match as well, wasn't he? He was Not a bit just naughty, he, wasn't yeah, he? He went, ah, oh, it was absolutely... F- Fulham, uh, yeah. Like when he, when the um, well, I forget who it was that was doing the post match. He, he said to him, "How did you have the energy um, to, for, for that second goal?" He's like, "I, I am quite fit." And I, I like that. I, I really enjoyed that. It's like you know, I am a professional athlete. Like running about is sort of what we do. I enjoyed that, even if it, was, it is a little bit snippy. It was great athleticism, though, wasn't it? The yeah, it was a going, brilliant in goal. There, finishing it, having also done the kind of mental gymnastics. Do we call it that? Of his free kick. I don't yeah. know. It's really enjoyable as a free kick, although, of course, David, Paul David Rea. I thought yeah. he had a pretty good game apart from that. He did. He, well, he said it was a mixture of Scott Parker and his dad that prepped him for that. Oh, it was, it? Yeah, yeah. It was really so, sweet. So that was great. Answer, Parker yeah. had pointed out that, that Rea tends to do that. I think he even said that he leaves a ridiculous gap. He used yeah. the word ridiculous, which you could only agree with because they're so vulnerable to that. Whereas Parker in the post match said. Uh, We've seen that that Rayo is quite aggressive in his stance on free right. kicks. So there, I think you see more. the difference between the managerial and the players' yeah, perspective yeah. on on how football works. Yeah. I thought it was quite sweet. And his, his dad, he said his dad used to give me the eyes in the park. That's just very sweet, isn't it? I also, I, I generally like the media around the championship. It feels subtly different from all the Premier League stuff. It's a little bit more, I don't know, a little, I don't know, it's a bit more kind of earthy. Like I like the, I like the way Gary Weaver enunciates. Like he's like a bingo caller. It's like. Ollie Watkins. So it's just just constantly speaking like that. The, the access it. is a bit better. I wonder if if that's part of it. You end up hearing more of those more of these stories. And and on that, like Brian's an interesting one because there's an interview with him in, in the Athletic that was done during lockdown, and mm. um, it was talking about you know what he's been getting up to. And he was like, oh, I've been reading why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. He is you know was um he's originally from bristol so he was <clears throat> reading up about edward colston and things like that and like the merits of having a statue up he said he went to his local coffee shop and spoke to two polish baristas on on british history basically and they asked him you know why don't they teach you about all this stuff in in school and he was like well we just we just don't get that over here so he's mm. kind of he's had a pretty incredible um lockdown as far as that goes and also on the on the subject of fitness he spent a lot of time running. He actually he said in that same interview that, oh, I've been running a lot during lockdown and I've got some of his times here. He ran a 5K in 17 minutes 20 and all the Spurs, oh, sorry, all the Fulham, um, his uh, teammates were like, oh, um, you know, when did you turn into a middle distance runner? And he's like, I kind of haven't really, yeah. But he just, we saw it there, didn't we? Well, yeah. It was 117 minutes on the board and he's bursting through from left back. It's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Incredible. That's quite, in a way, that's risky. Because you know you are you're leaving your position open to to take the risk that you're going to go and score, 
which he obviously did. But then Brentford scored late on. So you think, ah, this guy's got everything. He can read the future. He knew they <laughs> needed another goal. Yes, yeah. So I burst through. The um, the David Rea thing is quite interesting, isn't it? Because I, the, I had to watch it a few times to come to the conclusion that he wasn't to blame. And I think that, you know, the more we look into it, the more the information that comes out about the fact that they planned it before and also looking back through the season and showing why his ag- aggressive positioning, quote unquote, was a good thing for what Brentford want with their higher line. I think deep down, though, he will find it hard to forgive himself. Yeah. And I think actually that's probably the most important thing in it because there was already, I think the narrative already moved on from, oh, what's he doing at his near post to actually fair play. That's a brilliantly executed goal mm. from Fulham and obviously very well planned. But the thing will be on on his head. And, I, you know, obviously he'll get the help that he needs from his teammates and from everyone else. But I think that's the, that's the crucial thing, really. That's the only thing that matters, whether he'll forgive himself for what was just being on the wrong end of quite an inspired bit of football. Yeah, quite. Someone else who's suffering today uh, is Tom, who tweeted us. He says, I love you guys, but I unfortunately won't be listening today as I'm currently still sat here wondering how we, uh, Brentford, obviously, had three chances to get promoted to the Premier League and screwed them all. And I can't hear any more about it. See you on Thursday. No. No. Do download the show anyway, though, Tom. Um, what? I'll skip. Just, oh. Yeah, just you don't have to listen to it. Just download it. Yeah, we'll give you a timestamp for when yeah. we stop talking about Brentford. Perfect. I think it might actually be now. What time have we got on the clock? 15 minutes. I was going to say, if he's listening, skip, but he would have had to already skip this, wouldn't he? It's very yeah. difficult. It's like, if you've heard this, if you don't want to know the scores, look away now. <laughs> yeah. Podcast. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, little word from Wigan. If we skip down the, the well, the league, I was going to say down the championship, mm. but sadly, I'm afraid Wigan fans no longer the championship because uh, Wigan will definitely be relegated I mean it looked pretty clear that they would but they had their 12 point deduction and and that was upheld last night so they finish on 47 points after that which means 23rd uh, place and that means that they will be going down to league one some confusion about for me anyway I don't know if you what you guys think about how it's how it's been put together but of course Sheffield Wednesday also have a a points deduction but they um, aren't receiving it until next season I mean, I'm sure it's all very clear and full of rules, but it just seems like a slightly confusing situation. But basically, they've gone to a panel um, and have ruled that 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 deduction will stand for Wigan. So they're going to be a League One side next Mm. season. Horrible situation there because they were taken over during the pandemic, weren't they? And then this this has happened so quickly. What what a sort of whirlwind of, of, of awfulness. Poor Wigan. Yeah, grim. I think the situation with Sheffield Wednesday is that because they finished like a certain number of points ahead or actually, no, not at all. So generally the reason it was applied to um, Wigan was because, well, why was it applied this season is because they finished outside the relegation zone. Um, and so obviously it, it took them into it. But yeah, it's uh, it's very good. And I, and I kind of hope we we haven't heard the last of this, if you know what I mean, because the as we just discussed now, the situation around that takeover and how they entered administration so soon afterwards is very fishy indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely uh, baffling, basically. But yeah, you're, you're right, Vish. We're going to uh, keep our eyes on that one and, and perhaps talk more about it in future as more comes to light. Um, something I'm afraid we are talking about again today. Um, and, you know, frankly, it's probably the least we can do to keep talking about it a little bit as time goes on because um, it keeps happening. Other words of Danny Rose, um, who talks about... Uh, how he feels he's been racially targeted by police who stop his car very regularly when when driving. He says um, he's regularly pulled over and questioned each time. This is a quote from him. Each time it's, is this car stolen? Where did you get this car from? What are you doing here? Can you prove that you bought it? He he said this on the Second Captain's podcast um, and mentioned that this has been happening since he was 18. So I just want to draw attention to it a bit because, of course, this is a man who, let's not forget, plays for England at football, which is, you'd have thought, one of the most high-profile and, protect, I guess, protected kind of positions you can be in yeah. as a young man. And yet, he's on the end of this all the time. What does it mean for everyone else? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's it's something we know happens, you know. It's not like it's the stop and search is not exactly a surprising thing. We know that the, the black people are pulled over if they have nice cars. It's a sad fact of society. But um, you hear, like, it does shock you every time you hear about it. And it's particularly shocking coming from somebody as high profile as Danny Rose. And I really like, like how Danny Rose is, is so 
honest in his interviews. He, mm. he like is quite often um, talks about the, the negative side of, of playing football, which you don't hear that much. And you know, I think he's a really, really interesting character. And he's sometimes criticised for being a little bit dour. But I think that's like that's that's nonsense. I think personally, he's great. And I think you're right, Kate. Like. We need, we do need to keep talking about this, and I think it's good that he's kept the ball in the air because it's, you know, the, the sort of Black Lives Matter uh, narrative is dying down in the media a little bit at the moment, and it and it it shouldn't, it can't, it needs to. It, while this stuff happens, it needs to be called out. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the um, the other element to this is Danny Rose the person, and as Jim just mentioned, I think what happens when you have someone who is outspoken, you're always seen as someone who just causes a bit of trouble because everything you say seems to make headlines because, you, because you're because you quite unique in that regard. A lot of footballers kind of put their head down and, and kind of, you know, just deal with the shit that you take for being a footballer and, and kind of pass it off. And they tend to mesh everything in together. Whereas Danny Rose is kind of someone who, I'll take the criticism for, for playing poorly, but also that doesn't mean that this criticism isn't allowed. This doesn't mean that you can call me this, you can call me that. And uh, yeah, I, I think you can tell there was a definite shift in Danny Rose. I think it's maybe about five or six years ago where he clearly just had enough of, of football and the, you know, the general rigmarole of being in the public eye. And this is another example of that as you know, the, he, yeah, he, he's not the first person. He's not the first black person to be stopped by having a nice car. He won't be the last. Um, uh, but the fact that is someone who, okay, you mentioned is, is an England fullback is so very well known that you think he could walk down the street just outside and, uh, and be stopped for all the right reasons for autographs yeah. and selfies and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's great that he's highlighting it, especially in his position because footballers, we talk of, of being coddled and privileged in some way, but here is a bloke who has fulfilled his dream and yet is still being dragged down by the colour of his own skin. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's important to say as well that clearly there are lots of nuances in the context of this sort of police stop and search uh, process. And, and, I'm, you know, they obviously have a hard job to do as well. The police, you know, I don't want to um, sound as though, you know, it's all a one-way thing, but he just was using this as an illustration, Danny Rose, of, of the stuff that, as you say, Vish, that he has to put up with all the time. And and he, the other thing he said was, whenever I do talk about this, I hear people say, well, you're on this money, so just get on with it. It's like, well, um, yeah, that's not really good enough. No. Yeah, I mean, it's just a contemptible um, concept, that, isn't it? That if you, earn, if you earn well, then, you know, you deserve anything that comes your way. That has nothing to do with... Um, effectively, your personality or your character or who you are. The the what you mentioned there earlier, Jim, about um, the Black Lives Matter dialogue dialing down. I think that's why stuff like this is is so important because actually this isn't something that has come out off the back of Black Lives Matter. This wasn't a mm. this wasn't a cause or this this wasn't a particular kind of incident that fueled that movement, but. Off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement, people are more attuned to these kind of microaggressions that do exist. So the fact that he's Danny Rose is even going on a podcast talking about this is quite good because obviously yeah. more and more people like Danny Rose and all the way down who have been affected by these microaggressions will feel more comfortable about talking about it. I think you know you see a lot of. Um, We've sort of seen very different offshoots of this beyond football as well. For example, um, black women talking about the issues that they have as women and how certain sects of, or certain, sorry, certain parts of feminism don't really cater to them or they feel left out by certain parts of it. So this all kind of ties in together. Like mm. We're all kind of, we're all moving in the right direction. We're all talking about it openly. And this is uh, kind of a, a step towards progress, even if it does come from hearing something as difficult as that. All right, guys, let's head to a break. Coming up, we're going to be heading also to Europe. We're going to be talking about the likes of Willian Alexis Sanchez and a certain former Southampton, nearly former Southampton player. See you in a minute. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. All right, welcome back, gang. We are on transfers. This part, yes, get ready. Vish is on vigorous form. He's had a coffee. He's on high alert. I still have my coffee. It's got kind of cold, but it's that quite nice cold. It's that lukewarm coffee. That's mm. weird, mate. See, I'm I'm okay with coffee being cold if I know it's cold, right? If I, you know, have a frappuccino or a nice coffee, great, fine. Be. But if I drink a cup of coffee and expect the coffee to be warm when it's cold, it's like the most disgusting thing that's ever happened to my mouth. No, the wor- the most disgusting thing that can happen... No. To- <laughs> You're wrong. I'll tell you what's the You're most wrong. disgusting thing that's going to happen to... Okay. No, the, no. Most, the most disgusting thing you can accidentally drink is fizzy water when you think you're drinking still Ooh, water. I would, yeah, that's, that's, that's high up there. I'm not a fan of sparkling water. No, nor am I. But people people drink it like Kate. I bet Kate says, I don't even have to look at you, Kate. You're a no. fizzy water. No, no, no. It. This you is it, just your you bigotry have, coming into play you, once more. You have it with your olives and your batons. No, I don't have And all those things that people like when they're adults. No, I don't drink. I'm a tap water for the table kind of girl. You're Radio 4, fizzy water. Too shouty. Olives. You can't wake up to Radio 4, can you? Blah, blah, blah. Answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But basically, yeah, my coffee's now cold. Oh, sad ending. But I like it that way. Oh, But what's hot is... Oh, no. It doesn't really work if you like it cold. What's hot is our transfer segment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> sizzling. <laughs> Absolutely sizzling. Let's talk about Will Ann, shall Let's we? Let's talk about Will Ann. Yes. Actually, the, th- the theme of this, just to, you know, bring our attention here at the top, the theme of this transfer segment today is Jose Mourinho. Okay. <laughs> so see how that all pieces together as we go along. Let's right, start then. with Will Ann. see what you got, Dreamweaver. As who he, who he brought to Chelsea under the nose of Maurizio Pochettino. If only yeah. he could have looked to the future much like Joe Bryan, and seen that he would want the damn player later in his time. But anyway, Willian. Yeah, so um, there's a new tradition, new FA Cup rule. I don't know if you guys have... It's not really been widely reported, but now apparently the losing side of the FA Cup have to give the winners a player. Um, and Arsenal <laughs> selected Willian. Um, Is that the one you would, would choose? Seem, I, I, I'm surprised that Mikel Arteta's um, going for Willian, uh, in, in this kind of quite flimsy premise or in reality. Um, I do think it's a funny one. Like, on, I, Arsenal have to be really clever with how they use the transfer market because they're going to have to sell to buy. And obviously there's a lot of uncertainty over Aubameyang and the transfer you know, policy will be very different based on whether he stays or goes. Um, Silka selling Lacazette. And also there's talk that Aubameyang wants Dembele. And that's like, it's really quite complicated um William makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways in the right now he's a very good player he's a very experienced player he will bring a lot to the team and he'll bring a lot to those young players but on a three-year deal on what I assume will be very good money given that he's you know signing on a free potentially um could that just create another problem further down the line where you've got a high earner on your books that maybe isn't bringing to the team uh, what they should be that you can't really shift so it's uh it's a confusing one. I'm sure you know the club will have plans in place for that, but um, I think it's a good indication that you know there's a lot of talk of, of Arsenal sort of going in for big name players, and I, I take it with a pinch of salt because I, I think 
being clever, signing younger players, possibly some loan players, talk of another loan for Ceballos, and, and, and getting quite canny uh, signings in a short-term um, sense like this is probably what's going to be the reality of Arsenal's transfer window. But the system at Arsenal, it seems to be at the moment, do you not feel that there is a system and there is theory and practice? But does that stop at Mikel Arteta? Yeah, I think I think there is. That this is an example of it, and that it encouragingly actually it does seem to be being led by Arteta because that's been that's some the of the issues in in yeah. recent years, especially with Emery, sort of like with a lot of change at the board, uh, board level. Um, and apparently, he really, really wants William. And I actually I trust Arteta. You know, he clearly has a plan. He's starting to execute it, and it's it's you know um, clearly the last weekend was a success. The rest of the season has been positives in it, although it's been complicated. And I think. You know, you've got to give a manager time. If he if he wants a player like Willian and he's available, let let's let's see how that pans out. Yeah, Willian is absolutely right now a very good player. Mm. I think the, the key things that underpin his qualities, creativity, and his um, ability from set pieces as well is the fact that he's a hard worker mm. and having someone that experienced in a squad that's still fairly young. It ties into some of the decisions that Arteta has already made, you know, even keeping on David Luiz, which obviously we've we've mocked a few times on this very show. <laughs> I was show. about to say, why do you need Willian <laughs> when you've got David Luiz? Come exactly, on, people. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing I wonder about about Willian is is the wages thing, and uh, like, what is the opportunity cost of his signing? For example, what are you, what are Arsenal going to miss out on by basically handing someone what two hundred fifty grand a week? Mm. If it's some, if it's anything anywhere near that, quite considering the parameters they're going to have to work in and the difficulties it will be signing players in a quote unquote pandemic um, window, yeah, and the fact that of all the top teams who have been relatively untouched by the financial issues around the COVID nineteen, Arsenal are at the lower end of that, mm. you know, Arsenal by winning the FA Cup have done themselves a huge favour by even getting mm. some of that Europa money as well. But where do they... I, I can't see the long-term thinking about it. And maybe because there isn't any, and that can be a good thing. You don't necessarily need to sign someone to resell them. He needs someone... Sorry, Arteta needs someone to come in, be a good player for a season and a half, two seasons, yeah. and have an influence on the young players that he have. Yeah, and then prepare that squad to re-establish itself as a top four team. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, th- I think one of the offshoots of this might be what will happen to Meza Ozil, because surely if... Yeah, if I was going to say, what a bargain. He's only, yeah. what, two-thirds as much a yeah. week as Meza Ozil. Yeah, million, <laughs> million quid every what three weeks. Million quid every three weeks. bargain. Brilliant. Absurd, yeah. Do you want to go... I think we're probably going to have to furlough you, Meza. <laughs> You're not doing that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I kind of I wonder if if this will accelerate that because it sounds like I mean Jimmy, you'll know this. So Urza wants to stay. Mm-hmm. They want rid of him. They're not really sure who to get rid of him to, and cancelling his contract even with a year left is going to be yeah. pretty pricey. Up front, that would really have a bad effect on, yeah. on what business Arsenal could do. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's interesting that Urza wants to stay. North um, London's Gareth Bale. Yeah, North very London's much so. new Gareth Bale. Yeah, um, but it's. Um, there's a really interesting piece in the Athletic yesterday about how um, both Emery's tactics and Arteta's tactics just don't suit the way Ozil plays because mm. you know in, in a possession-based team Ozil is, is obviously fantastic and there's been a been you know decline on on his part as a player as well. Of course, he's not the same player he was. I saw him joined, track which back once enough. actually against was it Leicester? He probably th- he probably saw a mate in the stand. I think he dropped um, something and he said, like, "Where is yeah. my iPhone?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, it looks as if. If if Ozil really wants to dig his heels in, then he'll be able to, and he'll be able to say trouser that money. But I just feel like trouser. Really Great, you said trouser. <laughs> trouser that money. <laughs> it's what it is, isn't it? And I just feel like if he he's got to have a look at the reality of this situation. He's, he's not going to get game time at Arsenal. Arteta's unlikely to change his entire philosophy to fit him back in for a season. So I think he just he needs to have some personal integrity and think, <sighs> look. I'm coming to the end of my career here. This is a season I'm never going to get back. So if I want to play, if I actually want to play for the as much as possible for the remainder of my career, I need to go somewhere else. And that's not that simple, is it? If you settled in London and, and there's talks that you would only entertain the idea of the USA or Turkey, but I don't really know where that comes from. So it's, it's hard to give that any credibility, but it, it is a situation that needs resolving. And I don't know, I'm just sort of, I'm resigned to the idea that it, he will stay 
he'll come back in for a little bit of of time in the season because perhaps Arsenal will have a few results that, you know, lack creativity in, in the way the games pan out and people will go, what about Ozil? We've got this amazing player. He'll get called up again. Uh, it'll do well for a bit. He'll fall out of the team for whatever reason and the cycle continues on and on and on and somehow we'll get a new contract and this is some sort of purgatory that we live in. I, th- I think with, with Ozil, I, I look at someone who's clearly lost the love of football for a variety of reasons, for what's happened at Arsenal, for how things ended Germany so I, I kind of yeah I, I see what you mean he does need to move on but I wonder if he's just fed up of it yeah mm. someone you probably feel a little bit more fondly about Jim is Alexis Sanchez who we're going to talk <laughs> about now uh, talks advanced to cancel his contract at United that's got two years left to run and an unbelievably long time you'd think yeah. and the idea being that he can join Inter on a free um, much like Aaron Ramsey did went to Juventus massive wages but at no upfront cost um, he's only scored three Premier League goals for United since he moved from Arsenal in January 2018. Yeah, it's but um, he is a great player. Well, he was a great player, wasn't he? I and feel he's like... been doing all right as long as he's not at United. Yeah, I mean, he was doing all right at Inter, wasn't it? Was it three goals and one sending off for diving? I think <laughs> it's not been like that spectacular. No, he's had an injury and he he only plays like between 20 and 30 times. So you know, it's, it, it's, there are mitigating circumstances, but I think actually, you know. I'm sure you'd agree with me. They've got to cancel his contract, right? Because the two years remaining is worth 55 million quid. And that you're not getting anything out of him at this point, right? Like you're going to... Presumably cancelling a contract isn't cheap, but it's not going to cost 55 million, surely. Do you think him and Ozil in the same gold-plated WhatsApp group? <laughs> Just like, this is, this is a laugh, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. They've probably got people who send WhatsApps for them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a certainly, yeah, yeah. No, so they can true. do as much nothing as possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but I bet they both have blue ticks off as well, which is a different, different matter. Um, yeah, the, the thing about Sanchez, and it's good that you as an Arsenal fan are here because mm. f- for United, he obviously wasn't great at all for the outlay, um, for the wages. I think United were clutching at their status as mm. a as a big club. Um, yeah, he never seemed like he was providing something United were missing at the time. Did it? it seemed an odd choice. But beyond a bit of star quality and to say that they beat Manchester City to his signing. Mm. Um, who's laughing now? And I, I, I think what, <laughs> the, other, the other part of that, though, I should say, is the Pep's, fact that... Sorry to cut in. Pep at the time said he cost he cost too much for City, yeah. which we all laughed about, but turns yeah. out it's true. And, and also, there's, there's another thing as well that um, Pep actually said that recently um, when people were talking about the FFP issues and the fact that... Um, uh, yeah, the fact that people talking about Man City buying the league and this that, and the other. Sanchez and Manchester United are one of the examples he always uses. Mm. Um, so it's very convenient for them as well. Um, and I think with um, with Sanchez, he came into a Mourinho team where Mourinho likes his wingers to work very, very hard, which is why he loves Willian. Mourinho loves Willian. Mm. Um, with Sanchez, though, you, United were buying a striker, essentially. He was a striker at Arsenal. He um, had this... <laughs> There was this facade around Sanchez that he was a really hard worker because whenever he'd get the ball, he'd always be at fucking 100 miles an mm. hour. But if you look at the stats that um, were his most productive games at Arsenal, he would often be at the lower end of distance covered and, and randomly Ozil would actually be quite high on yeah. that list. Um, it's, because, just, it's the pace that tricks people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and because basically he would conserve his energy and he would have willing runners around him and therefore he would come alive in the final third, which is why he scored so many goals. United signed him, what? United signed him in January of 2018? Yeah, mm. 2018. The season before that, he was Arsenal's player of the year. He yeah. scored, you know, 21 goals or something mm. like that. And so he just came into a system that that wasn't suited for him, was, wasn't built around him as it was at Arsenal. And he struggled. And when you struggle on that much money and when you struggle after doing the things that you did at Arsenal and doing the things you did at Barcelona, you're going to get the short shrift from, from football fans and fans in general. So... I think it would be important, actually, when we look back on on Alexis, Alexis Sanchez in this English chapter, that we actually judge him predominantly on what he did at Arsenal and not at all what he did at Manchester United, because for starters, it'd be quite hard to find something good that he did at United. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he he was kind of a convenient purchase for Manchester United at the time that became very inconvenient for both for him and the club. I think he's 31 years old now. And he's he's been playing since he was very young, and he's played a lot of international football as well. Chile have you know won and gone deep in tournaments while he's been you know toing and froing from between Europe and South America. And you know there's a lot of miles on the clock. And for for a, for a player where his pace, um, even if it is an explosive pace, and he can conserve his energy in the rest of the game, like that's 
that's going to tell sooner or later, isn't it? And I think we're at that point now. Yeah. So, like, I remember reading at the time before Manchester United signed him that um, Arsene Wenger and some of the coaches at Arsenal had noticed different things about him. That he wasn't trying as hard, obviously, because he maybe because he had his eyes on a move away, but also that there was like worries about his knees. About you know, certainly that he was he developed some wear and tear that was suddenly being harder to mm. fix. And and obviously, this is all being wise after the event. But some people were saying, well, actually, you could kind of notice it in the in the first half of that season before he joined United in January. Would yeah. you, you know, are you of that opinion? Is that the case? Hundred percent. It reminds me of um, when Liverpool sold Fernando Torres to Chelsea, and Chelsea were like, "I can't believe you're doing this." And Liverpool fans were like, "Yeah, we've done oh, it." Oh no, <laughs> we've done oh, it. Oh, what right have we done? But yeah, it was. There's a bit of that, definitely. It was still, you know, frustrating at the time because. Arsenal will have this problem of losing their their stars to other teams, but yeah, it um, I'm worked out terribly for everyone, didn't it? Including Henrik Mkhitaryan. It <laughs> might be like it might be the worst transfer ever for for every party. That it's just a disaster, just a three sixty degree disaster. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the um, hype around it as well was not not obviously just just because it was Alexis Sanchez, but because of what. United had done to Arsenal by taking Van Persie as well. Yes. Mm. I think people thought, oh, they've done it again, mm. and they hadn't. Um, let's, we're going to skip on a little bit I think I was going to ask if you resent Sanchez in the same way that Jim resents Ozil but we can come no, we can, we can make so, a I wouldn't say resent Ozil. we can make a separate podcast on that probably no no I, I don't resent Sanchez as well no I mean you know we have in Ed Woodward a man who deserves a lot of slack for a lot of those kind of deals so don't need to sh- we don't need to share the spray no <laughs> absolutely no just yeah. keep the spray focused particularly in these times of COVID um, Spurs have got a signing guys yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're looking at me as if like, oh, you brought something home. Can I stick it on the fridge? Yeah, go yeah. on then. Go on then, Kate. <laughs> a dead man. Hoiberg <laughs> is going to join from Southampton. So he looks as though it's about 15 million. And to be honest, this has been going for, a, this has been filtering on in the background for quite some time. Um, and it looked as though Southampton didn't really particularly want to talk about it in the early stages because obviously he's a bit of a key player for those guys. He had said quite recently that he wants to win the Premier League and to win European Cups. Who's he joining again? Quite. Mm. I think it's a, I mean, it seems to me to be a really, I think we're all agreed that this seems like a pretty good signing. For I do, I, I, yeah, I think so. In terms of getting a bit of... Uh, defensive and productive solidity in midfield for that team. Mm. And also a, a, a player who will, you know, I think Mourinho will be able to improve him as well. He's what, 24, is mm. he? Um, so maybe even younger than that. He turns 25 in August. Right, yeah. okay. So, I mean, he's in... We're a, in August, yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, Pierre But I think, yeah, that's it's a, it's 15 million is a snip, really. Isn't for, it just? For, a, for a established Premier League player um, who is who is improving, who is, is of a good age. Um, and I think... Um, this again, it's the sort of business Spurs need to do, isn't it? We know that money's tight for um, for because of COVID in, in a lot of situations, and obviously Mourinho has parameters to work within that he wouldn't normally have had at clubs he's been at before. So I think that's I think it's good business. Why is he so cheap? I'm now suddenly doubting everything. I think he's broken inside. Um, I think if you shook him, you'd hear like rattling around. I think some right. pieces yeah. have gone loose. Um, I think it's just because of the terms of his contract, really, and the fact that he openly wanted to go. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But but the um, the th- yeah the, the good good thing for Spurs is that he's he's a very hard combative player, and yeah. I, I think there were a few times last uh, well at the end of this season where we saw Gio De- Gio Lo Celso doing a bit more of that graft, yes. and and perhaps actually it'll be good to to move him out of that and and put someone hardened in like Hoiberg so that. Lacelso can do all the little, you know, the other things. I remember watching a game where he, um, I think it was West Ham. He basically played as a number ten, but he ended up doing everything anyway. Yeah. But the stuff he did as a more advanced midfielder was brilliant, and I suppose you need a bit more of that. I mean, you know, you you've watched a lot of Spurs this season. Is that the kind of player you need now? Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely think yeah. it is. And then one, I was thinking about the negatives of him when I started having this concern about the fifteen million pounds about two minutes ago. Um, which is that supposed to be that he's like a little bit impatient and he can sometimes shoot from distance and see glory and that's a bit annoying. But I think that could be a positive attribute ultimately because if he has got that kind of, you know, he's obviously trying to move his career on. He's, like you say, not in an unpleasant way, but he's said he wants to to move to, to Tottenham. He wants to get up the table. He wants to do exciting things and he's a little bit impatient. I think those are the qualities of a... Yeah. 
of a really good footballer. Certainly the Jose Mourinho of old as well has been able to sort of smooth those edges of players. Mm. I mean, there's, a, there's talk that he's perhaps not as effective at that as he was, but, you know, the fact he's making this signing at all like implies that he's, you know, going to going to uh, do a bit of the old Jose coaching magic on him. So, yeah, I think we, we all saw that leaked video footage when Jose Mourinho was saying that Spurs maybe need to be a bit more sea bomby. And um, <laughs> if he's, you know, if he's bringing in some sort of combative, hungry young midfielders that clearly he's trying to sort of mould the team in a slightly different way. Yeah, if you have like a if you have a manager who's got a bad rep for curbing people's creativity, let it be a defensive midfielder who's a little bit too creative. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and and also like the difference is that you know he was playing in a Southampton midfield that was struggling, and now he'll play along play, alongside players who we can actually see them doing doing the things that he would like to do better than he does them, and he can play a part in that by being you know more of a give and go player than somebody who takes ambitious shots. So no, I think it's a very good signing all round actually. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So we're all feeling positive, and that doesn't often happen. <laughs> Winning suits you, by the way, Jim. Oh, cheers! cheers he, mate. Has he's been glowing since Saturday? <laughs> he was he was so refreshed on Monday, and he's carried that over. Yeah, good to see you refreshed after last as well. week. As yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, little glance into Europe, where. Um, as we know, Syria finished, so all the all the main leagues are are now wrapped in Europe uh, at the weekend, and Paulo Dybala has won the Syria MVP. Now, there are some there's one particularly big player in Syria who is who he's overtaken a, a teammate no less. Oh, I thought I was going to say Chris Smalling until you said teammate but go oh, on. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> Got to make myself clear there. Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, what you get if you win the Syria MVP is you get a little a sort of a little like a badge, you know, like a badge from the brownies that you can put on your on your really? on your kit. And in fact, Ronaldo won it last season, and he said he didn't want to wear the special little badge because he didn't want to be seen to be above his team. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think well, maybe this says a lot about my mentality when I'm stepping over that white line. But oh, that was too much pressure, isn't it? I would like a crown <laughs> or a sash. I couldn't no, a crown before, and then like a ceremonial. You know, taking off of the crown, obviously by someone else before every game, mm. and then I'll just wear a sash during it. How would that fit with the protocols of COVID? Fish seems uh, like you haven't really thought this through. No, uh, I've so long, two long sticks with hands, solid hands, so that they have <laughs> they don't have that much give. Solid hands around the crown from modelled on mine, perhaps yep, picked up and then placed down, sprayed. About uh, a drone. Little drone Ooh, drop. Drop it on my head, yeah. Yeah, risky, but. Although, you know. yeah, I, I have a problem with caps and hats, and so it would have to come at exactly, you know, like to hit a perfect three pointer, it would have to come at the right angle. When so you say you have a problem? I, I just got a weird shaped head. Oh, right. Basically. So I, I I've only, only suit certain hats. Same. So I need, it would need to be dropped on perfectly. So I'd rather the, the simpler um, method of the two sticks with two hands. Um, like chopsticks placed on my head. So reports not yet in about whether Dybala will be taking the crown or the little fob um He's all in approach. on a fob today, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I realised from this, I, I think it's down to a uh, a vote. I, I think it's, a, it's basically, sorry, it's a popularity contest. <laughs> yes. And That's also, so inane, isn't it? I know, but also um, Juventus when they when they put the statement out on their website, they include a photo of Dybala, obviously, with Cristiano Ronaldo, and it was a bit like, well, we would have to get him in here somewhere. Yeah, Just, he will go absolutely nuts. Should we, we give don't. him? Yeah, should we give him a byline on the statement? No, no, he'd hate that, he'd hate that even more. <laughs> get, get him a photo. <laughs> But I like that because I'm 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 well in for you know when we we see the voting records of like player of the year, world mm. player of the year, stuff like that, and you can see people just being utterly petty. Yeah, I'm all for that kind of mess and pettiness. Yeah, and so yeah, um, a popular vote that goes against Ronaldo is fine by me. It's funny because the rest of the awards are for they're all based on position. It's you know best goalkeeper through to best forward, and there's a best young player in there as well. So, but MVP is weirdly separate from that. Why do you why do you need it? Uh, yeah. Does this just push up his transfer price? That's really? such a good point. Like the, yeah, because obviously Immobile has won the striker. Ups, yeah, you know he scored the most goals. Yeah, that's the thing. If, if you're an MVP as well, surely that's the one thing that isn't down to any everyone else's judgment. Yeah, of course. Surely that's the one thing you can measure so their like impact, age variables, and like you know, yeah. like length of the contract you're already on. Like it's, it's a funny one. It's a weird one. Reported that Ronaldo wanted to leave Juventus before the pandemic. So will this push him out the door? Wasn't the talk that that was like during a game? Like hasn't like <laughs> somehow there's been a, a report on a Ronaldo sulk. 
where it's during a game, even though they were winning, it was like, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go to PSG. Well, he also was rested a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. So, he was, yeah. And, it, yeah. and there was a whole load of trying to impose, you know, our control on the club. Who is the most important person here? Me or the boss? <laughs> is he just going around trying to conquer the, you know, the biggest clubs? I think he is, you know. Is I genuinely Madrid, think he yeah. is, like, he is so, he's like a superhuman, isn't he? Ronaldo, like with the most, oh, yeah. doesn't he do something like five thousand abdominal crunches a day? Oh, some like absolutely me. crazy amount. That's and like twice as many as me. <laughs> I don't think I've done that many in my fucking life. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? And they're yeah. deeply unpleasant when you do them. Um, but yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. He's he does seem like someone who's who's trying to like make his legacy as, as impressive as possible. And I, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's like I think he stated before that he he wants to play till at least forty, and you I, wouldn't put it past him. You can him. absolutely see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think deep down he'll end up as some kind of like Doctor Manhattan figure. <laughs> just he, he just yeah. full of radiation, yeah. huge and blue, and you know with <laughs> with the power to take over the world with yeah. a single snap. Yeah. Is there anything you've not uh, not achieved yet? Cristiano uh, omnipotence yes I'm going to rule the universe uh, with a Ronaldo fist don't know whether I'll be good or bad yet we'll see and I'm just going to let it all hang out <laughs> some people could argue he has already achieved that I don't know the old messy crowd maybe not but that's a debate for another day there's European football tonight guys and um, this slightly curious situation whether it's just one leg for Inter against Hatafe. so it's all on that one Manchester United effectively playing an unnecessary leg, you could argue, yeah. given that they're 5-0 up against Lask. Interestingly, so that Lask are coming to Old Trafford and in their pre-match, they sounded a little bit sad that it was going to be an empty Old Trafford because Old Trafford's uh, capacity is 67,213 seats larger than that of the, oh. the and Arena where yeah. Lask play. Also, they're coming into a part of the country that is in local lockdown as well. Oh, so God. We're yeah. not too thrilled about that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It's, it is a shame, isn't it? You would, you know, obviously they're in the Europa League on merit, but you would, you'd be excited about an away trip to World Traffic, mm. even if you are 5-0 down. But you never know. It's the magic of the Europa League. Who knows what can happen? <laughs> what can these Lask lads produce on the night? We shall see. Uh, it's not over till it's over. But for today, it is over for the Football Ramble. Uh, pop your golden MVP crown on, Vish, and say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, you can take your FA Cup winner's medal if you like, Jim. Yeah, I will. Uh, and I do like it. Yeah, thanks, everyone. See you later on. Tomorrow's show, it's Jules, Andy and Pete in your ears. I've obviously got no regalia because I'm a Spurs fan. But I will see you next time. Can't wait. This was a Stakhanov production. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.